Welcome to today's class. Uh, this is class 86, 15th August, chapter 21. The topic is That Thou Art. The chapter is called That Thou Art. And um, we're starting Characteristics of Self-Development, just so you all know we're right place in the book. Any questions before we begin? Great. Okay. So we've come to the final section of the book, which summarizes everything we've learned. And the topic discusses the fact that after learning, practicing this knowledge, you, you, you may ask, how do I know I'm progressing on the spiritual path? How do I know I'm progressing on this path? So we discuss what the signs characteristics of a spiritually developed person is. What makes up a spiritual person? Any ideas? What makes up a spiritual person? What makes up a spiritual person? Anything, generally. Yeah, Vanita? Somebody who's uh, selfless, uh, less, you know, selfish, uh, thinks about not just their family, but everybody loves everybody equally, not just humans, animals too. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? What makes a spiritual person? What makes up a spiritual person? Is it a long beard? Vanita? Somebody that's not attached to the materialistic world, uh, not doesn't feel like uh, they need, I don't know, they just they feel hap happiness in the simple things in life. Detached from the world. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What else? Anything else? Uh, Kevil? Yeah, I was going to say someone who has uh, the desire to learn this knowledge because without the desire, we wouldn't even start. Desire to learn this knowledge. Very good. So we're going to discuss that today. Okay, let me ask you another question. What does not make up a spiritual person? There are many people around who claim to be spiritual. Yeah, Vanita. Somebody just being religious or following rituals and things isn't enough to, I'm not saying it's just not, it's not that it's not that, but it's not enough just to be religious. It has to be more than that. Mechanically just doing rituals yeah. without knowing what they're doing, why they're doing it. See, in general, you go to places like Rishikesh and so on. You know, I'm just, I'm not judging anyone, but, you know, we look at people and, they have an ochre robe, orange clothes, who automatically think this must be a spiritual person. They have a big mara around the neck. We automatically think this must be a spiritual person. They do some magic, bring a flower from nowhere or watch from nowhere. This, this has been done. And you suddenly bow down and think this person has powers. Being able to recite verses, Gita verses, Sanskrit verses, we think, this person must be spiritual. These aspects do not make a person spiritual. We're going to find out what does, but those aspects do not make a person spiritual. 
Is that clear? Okay, any questions? Okay, so characteristics of self-development. How do we know we're on the right, we're on the path and we're developing? How do we know? What are the signs? What are the um, characteristics? But that's just what we're gonna discuss. Ravi, Characteristics of self-development. God-realization is the ultimate goal of human evolution. Those earnest in reaching it wish to know their present state, but find it difficult to evaluate their spiritual status. They are unaware of their position in the path of evolution. Few understand what exactly are the traits and characteristics of self-development. Worse still, people have their own standards of judgment. Thus, many enlightened sages have passed into history unknown, unsung. Ironically, people attribute greatness where it is least due. Confer divine qualities upon spiritual charlatans indiscriminately. Defy them as gurus and follow them blindly. Such following helps neither the discipline nor the guru. Do not fall a prey to such irrational practices. You cannot afford to commit such blunders. Try to understand clearly what constitutes the elements of spirituality. What makes the progress in the spiritual path? What are the chief characteristics of self-development, the true attributes of a spiritual advanced person? With this study and analysis, you would be able to assess the strength of spirituality in yourself as well as others. A few traits and characteristics of spiritual evolution are listed below for your guidance. So it's very important that we understand this because we could follow someone in our life, throughout life, and they may not be spiritual. So we, it's, it's important that we know the characteristics of what makes a spiritual person. So he's saying self-realization is the goal of all humans. And we have decided to go on this path. But it's difficult for us to understand, no, if we are developing spiritually. You may think just because we go to a temple every day, we do regular rituals that we're being spiritual. We just don't know. How do we know? So we need to understand where are we on this path? And these qualities we're going to discuss can help measure our spiritual development. Also, it gives you the capacity, the ability to judge someone else's spirituality. It'll allow you to assess yourself, measure your own spiritual development. I'm 25% developed, etc. Now we're going to list, we're going to study about half a dozen. You don't have to develop all of them. You can just concentrate on one or two of these qualities and you'll find that the other qualities automatically will develop on their own. Just concentrate on one or two. It raises you to all these qualities, you will develop automatically. Any questions before we start with the first one? Are we clear on what we're discussing? Shilavin? Okay. Okay. So the first quality is self-sufficiency. Just raise your hands, uh, get my attention if you have any clarifications as we go through today. Self-sufficiency. What's self-sufficiency? Any idea? What's being self-sufficient? When you don't rely on anybody. Don't rely on anybody, okay. Yeah, Kevin. When our happiness or our calmness is not dependent on anything on the exterior world, but rather on our internal self. Very good, very good. Benita, what were you going to say? It's saying similar thing to Kevin. When the emotions are not attached to um, the people around you and same as what you said, but obviously the worldly desires. Very good. Let's find out. 
Ravi. Self-sufficiency. As a person evolves spiritually, he develops self-sufficiency, becomes independent of the world around him. He stands out a master of all he encounters in the world. Whereas a spiritually retarded person remains a slave of his body and his perceptions, his mind and its emotions, intellect and its thoughts. A self-developed person revels within his own self. His peace and happiness is not dependent upon anything other than his self. He does not crave for sense objects or emotions, thoughts or ideas. He remains ever free, unaffected by the manifold pairs of opposites and constitute, that constitute the world. Be it pleasure or pain, joy or sorrow, honour or dishonour, only human beings have the spiritual potential to enjoy such independence. All other creatures are entirely dependent upon the world for their peace and pleasure. A plant is totally dependent on the world. It has only a body, no mind, no intellect. If it needs water and there is water next to the plant, it cannot do anything. There could be a whole swimming pool next to the plant. You can't get the water. Totally dependent on the world. Animals are less dependent on the world, but still, they're dependent. Carnivores need meat. They have to hunt for it. If there is none, it will die. You can't eat grass or plants and survive. Herbivores, cows, need grass to survive. You can't eat meat. Only a human is designed to be completely independent of the world. And when you achieve that, it's called self-sufficiency. So as you develop spiritually, you become less dependent on the world for your peace and happiness. You're no longer craving for sensual pleasures, emotions for the mind, thoughts for the intellect. As you become more self-sufficient, you're no longer affected by the pairs of opposites that make up the world. What are, what are the pairs? Heat and cold, honor and dishonor, birth and death, joy and sorrow. We're affected by these pairs of opposites. If something happens good, you're up. Something happens bad, you're down. And this is how it goes. Someone said this to me. You're upset. Someone said that to me. You're looking good today. You're, you're, you're up in there. So we're, we're affected by these things. But as you gain this knowledge, you develop. You become satisfied, fulfilled, purely with this knowledge of the self. Any questions? Okay, Ravi. You gain self-sufficiency by focusing your attention on the self. The more you attune to the self, the less dependent you are on the objects and beings of the world. And by finding your union with the self within, you gain absolute peace and bliss. Nothing in the world can augment that supreme state of fulfillment. You become totally self-sufficient, truly spiritual. So you achieve this independence by focusing your attention on the self, rather than your body, your mind, your intellect, where all our focuses are, everybody. So we need to shift that focus to the Atman within, the self. And it's saying the more you relate to the self within, the more independent you become. Become more understanding, more tolerant. Otherwise, you become affected by everything. You get angry whenever something does not go right for you. So as you then become more spiritual, you're unaffected by anything that happens around you. You become self-sufficient. As Kevil said, you're not dependent on anything in the world for your happiness. 
Puripurna, fulfilled completely. Complete happiness. Don't need anything. Can you imagine that state? Focusing on the self allows you to get to that state. Right now, our focus, as I said, is on our physical body, mind, and intellect. That's all we cater to. It's never ending, those desires. But once you're tuned to the self, that all disappears. So how do we achieve this? Ravi, please tell us, how do we achieve this? You may wonder, how can one remain unaffected by the world, become free from the persecutions of the body, mind, and intellect? Keep a balanced mind amidst trials and tribulations. The answer lies in spiritual discipline. Through spiritual discipline, you gradually detach yourself from the material equipments and their activities by attaching to the self within. Until you become established in the self, thereafter the world cannot disturb you. So you can achieve this through practicing spiritual disciplines. What are the spiritual disciplines? Anyone? What kind of spiritual disciplines? Yeah, Venita? Um, try not to um, create more desires, or if the desire does arise, then think about if it is something that you actually really want. Yeah. Pass it by, then sort of let go of it, I suppose. So if you've got a developed intellect, then you can do that. But if you haven't, what disciplines can you follow to be able to achieve this? Any idea? Termesh. We're talking about the four yogas, isn't it? Three at the moment. Oh, three, sorry. Four <laughs> three yogas. Yeah. Karma, Bhakti, Jnana, Yoga. Gaining knowledge of the self is Jnana, Yoga. As you gain the knowledge of the self, you'll be able to control your desires. So because we don't have a developed intellect, we have to do these three Karma Yogas. Karma, which is service, sacrifice for the physical body. Bhakti, devotion to that higher being that has provided me with everything I have. Devotion to that higher being helps you to control your desires at the emotional mind level. And knowledge of the self, jnana yoga, helps you to control your desires at the intellectual level. So by practicing these disciplines, you gradually become detached from your material equipment, your body, mind, intellect. You reduce your desires. And then slowly you're no longer affected by them and the demands. You gradually become established in the self, free from the worldly bondage that we all have. This is how you do it, spiritual disciplines, three yogas. Any questions? There's an example given how it works. Ravi. Take the example of a coconut. When a coconut is raw, the kernel sticks to the shell. The bondage is firm. You break the shell, the kernel also breaks. But not so when the coconut dries up. When a coconut is completely dry, the kernel separates clear from the shell becomes free. It shakes inside like a rattle. Now, when the shell of the dry coconut is broken, the kernel does not break. It remains as it is, unhurt, unaffected. The same is true of yourself. 
as long as you are attached to your body, mind, intellect, you are affected when they are affected. But when you detach yourself from them, you remain, you, sorry. Economist. Remain economist. Economist. You remain economist, regardless of any affliction they go through. You gain your independence, liberation. So he's given the example of the coconut. When, when it's raw, it's attached to the kernel inside. But once it dries up, you know, you open it, you cut it. Fruit is there separate. It's not affected. This is the example is saying that if you attach yourself to the self, body, mind, intellect, you have, it doesn't affect you in any way. Just like the coconut when it's dry is not affected inside, even if you break it from on the outside. Whatever you do to the outside, the inside still is remains the same. Does everyone understand that example? Yeah? Right. The second quality is Universal love. What is universal love? What is universal love? It's exactly what it says. Ramesh? Love for everything, not just the nearest and dearest. Love for everyone. Extending your affection, your love universally. Right now you love nearest and dearest, people who cater to you. You don't love your enemies. You don't love people who say bad things to you, who don't cater to you. Universal love means you love everyone, all beings. This is another quality of a spiritually developed person. He has universal love. Ravi. Universal love. The love that people claim to have for the near and dear ones is far from true love. Actually, it is preferential attachment, uneven love. You love your child more than any other. How is it that your love is concentrated on your child alone? Think, your child caters to your personal demands more than others, satisfies your physical, emotional and intellectual needs, fulfills your self-centered, selfish interests. Thus, the love you claim for your child is all but directed to your own well-being. You are merely loving yourself when you say you love your dear ones. True love is even, same to one and all. Love in its purest form has to be universal not concentrated in one. Universal love is an essential trait of self-development. Jesus Christ attained that supreme state. His love was unabated in the worst circumstance. When Christ was crucified, he maintained the same feeling. As he was nailed on the cross, his last words were dripping, were dripping with love. Father, forgive them. They not they know not what they do. So what people these days call love is preferential attachment and not true love. This is the difference. You say, I love you. Let's say you say, I love you to your partner. You love them as long as they cater to your needs. The minute they don't cater to your needs, that love just seems to disappear. The person caters to your self-centered interest. You feel love for them. If not, then you don't. This is not love. Everyone who's married, who's about to be married, this is not love. You love your child. The child is born. When your child is born, it's not the child you love. It's the mindness. Does everyone understand? It's the mindness that you love. The child is born, doesn't say I love you to you, does not even recognize you. Who are you? Baby's born, doesn't even recognize the mother. But the fact the child is yours, that's why you love the child. So it's that mindness, that attachment is why you love that child. We get an emotional satisfaction 
that it's my child. Preferential attachment. Otherwise, you would give the same love to all the children, to all the babies. You see the difference? People understand, do, do you understand the difference? So it's that mindness. The, other, the next baby next to your baby, there's no mindness. You don't have that same feeling towards that baby. No attachment. That's the difference between attachment, preferential love, and universal love. Real love is when one feels for all the children the same way. Pure love is universal. This is one of the vital traits of self-development. And Jesus Christ, he stands for pure love, true love. So you have to learn to relate and love everyone. In fact, there's no reason not to love everyone. Yes, but he, she did that to me. Said this to me. The self in that person is the same self in you. Learn to identify with the self. You love everyone. Do we understand the difference between love and attachment and preferential love? It's very important. Please clarify if you don't understand. So if you don't love any everyone, then you know this is this in you you are lacking in capacity spiritually in that area. So increase your circle of identification. So I'm going through all these today, um, quite fast because we want to finish. We want to finish the class today, um, but by all means, you know you can have a listen again on the podcast to understand or better. And there's Q&A on Wednesday, maybe anybody wants. Next quality, objectivity. What is objectivity? Very important, this quality. Ravi. Objectivity. An essential quality of the spiritually evolved is objectivity. Objectivity means maintaining an impersonal, detached attitude in life not being involved in the affairs of the world. Some become involved in amassing wealth, seeking power, name and fame. Others are lost in feelings and emotions, thoughts and ideas. Ironically, the worst form of attachment involvement is found among the religious. Those are the ones extremely attached to their creed who turn into religious fanatics, extremists even terrorists. So objectivity, main quality of a spiritually evolved person is objectivity. Not to get involved in the affairs of the world, to remain detached. Throughout our life, we get involved with name, fame, money, power, or in emotion, thoughts. The worst form of attachment is to religion. People become fanatics, terrorists. You don't believe in this, my religion, I will kill you. How dare you say about this about my religion? Religion is supposed to make you a better human being, not worse. We just discussed universal love. How is that universal love? Objectivity. See things for what they are. Have that clarity. How do you gain that? Ravi. Those who are detached, not lost in their own field of activity, are said to be objective. They become a witness, sakshi, to all happenings in the world. Watch the procession of perception, emotion, and thought go by. Thus must you attune to the real Sakshi, the self within. Treat your body, mind, and intellect as your possessions. Something other than you 
The world can only affect these equipments, but not the self. Resign to the self and look at the world from the balcony of the self. That is objectivity. So he's saying, if you change your focus from the, your material layers, your body, mind, intellect, and to the self, event, you become objective in life. You're no longer affected by what happens to the material equipment. See, the world can only affect your physical body, your emotional mind, and your intellectual thoughts. It cannot affect the self. Even if you die, it exists. The self is unaffected. Treat your body, mind, intellect like your possession. You own a car, you own a house. Treat it like that. This is what it's saying. That's objectivity. And when you can do that, you begin to view the world and everything going on in the world as a sakshi, a witness. You see how you witness a parade. This is how you see a world. Nothing affects you. So to gain the objectivity, develop the intellect, and then you're able to do that. Any questions? Makes sense so far? You all, you all with me? Yeah? Brilliant. So you need to develop these qualities. We can't do that in one class, yeah? You need to read, think, listen, evaluate yourself, look within, and then apply it, which only you can do. The next one is straightforward. Cheerfulness. Everyone knows what cheerfulness means. Another quality of a spiritually developed person is always happy. Ravi. Cheerfulness. Another trait of the spiritually developed person is cheerfulness, which he may not necessarily manifest at all times. A spiritually evolved person is replete with cheer and joy through he may express it discreetly. However, he remains that feeling all through life. On the contrary, those who lack self-development, not spiritually evolved, are morose, gloomy, depressed. They suffer from mental sickness. Such people should not contaminate the society with their... Melancholy. Melancholy. They need to be quarantined to prevent their mental disease from spreading. Lord Krishna is a person. Personification of personification mirth. of mirth, of fun and frolic. Through his life posed continual trial and tribulation, opposition and challenge. He was a picture of chillfulness, ever vencing with laughter. The spiritual developed person is full of cheer throughout his life, even though he may not show it all the time. Now, what is cheerfulness? How would you, what is cheerfulness? Yeah, Dennis. Personal happiness with the self connection. Self-connection. Where whatever happens in the world doesn't affect you. Doesn't affect you, yeah. Cheerfulness. So it doesn't mean you have to be laughing all the time. Yeah. That doesn't it doesn't mean you should be laughing all the time. You don't need to express it. But within you feel happy all the time. You're internally. It's saying that those who are not spiritually developed are dull and miserable. In fact, it says they're mentally sick. Now, it doesn't mean literally mentally sick, yeah? In the sense, they're not enjoying life. They don't understand life. Do you have anything not to be happy about? Tell me now. Do you have anything not to be happy about? Exactly. 
But if I had this, I'd be more happier. We have nothing in our life not to be happy about. So cheerfulness. And as Jesus Christ personified love, Krishna personifies cheerfulness. If you see Krishna in any of his pictures, read about his life, he's always cheerful, happy, no matter what happens. Have you ever seen a picture of Krishna or Murti where he's not happy? Spiritually developed, Lord Krishna, always happy. In fact, next quality is also, you can say, Krishna, dynamic. Anything and everything he did, he was dynamic. Even the way he went on the tree and stole the makkan, it was done dynamically. Nobody knew. Dynamic in all his actions. Dynamism. Ravi. Dynamism. As you evolve to higher heights of perfection, you shed your tamas, lafaji, indolence. You become bright, active, dynamic. Those who lack spiritual development are self-centered, selfish. They suffer from mental agitation, which causes fatigue, loss of energy. The spiritually evolved are relatively selfless. Their minds are calm and composed. That generates power and energy within them. Thus, the evolved have in different periods of history shown great dynamism in their fields of activity. They have poured out enormous physical, mental, and intellectual energies into the world for the welfare of the people. So as you develop on the spiritual path, you become more active and dynamic, not a recluse. You become more active and dynamic. The mind is a lot calmer and more composed. It's not agitated. And when your mind is not agitated, what happens? You have more energy. When your mind is not agitated, you have more energy within. Why is that? Why is that? Damesh, why is that? You're not wasting energy on... Wasting energy. Your mind is thinking of other things, other, other rubbish that may have happened or not happened or is about to happen or whatever. It gets agitated. You're using unnecessary energy on those thoughts. So when your mind is calm and composed, not agitated, you have more energy. You try it. A spiritually developed person is not tamasic. This person is dynamic, doesn't procrastinate, acts with energy, does whatever they need to do. Those that are not developed suffer from mental agitations, which cause tiredness, loss of energy, lethargic. Yeah, I'll do it later. I can't be bothered. So dynamic, being dynamic is one of the never spiritual quality. Adi Shankacharya walked from the top to the bottom of India 14 times spiritually developed. I think Swami Nilkant as well, he went around whole of India. Swami Narayan, I remember that. Dynamic. Why spiritually developed? The last quality we're gonna discuss, selflessness. What is selflessness? What is selflessness? Any idea what is selflessness? Damish, any idea? What is selflessness? To help others above yourself. Help others above yourself. Okay. Yeah, what is that? They don't have any ego in anything to acquire anything or be feel fulfilled for anything. Okay, let's find out. What is selflessness? Ravi? Selflessness. This trait stands out above all. 
It is the very backbone of character and conduct of the spiritually evolved. The acid test of spirituality is one selflessness. The lowest category of human beings is immersed in gross selflessness. Gross selfishness. Selfishness, sorry. Gross selfishness. They dissipate their lives in mere indulgence in physical senses, emotional attachments, and personal views and ideas. As a person advances spiritually, his ego and egocentric desires, his selfish and self-centered nature diminish, diminish, diminishes. And when he attains the highest spiritual enlightenment, he becomes totally selfless. Selflessness paves the way to spiritual progress. Thank you. So this is the main character of the spiritual development, selflessness. As you develop on the spiritual path, you dissolve your ego, that minus, your selfish nature. And the opposite of being selfish is selfless. So if you look around, I mean, we're in Kaliyuk time, so selfishness is everywhere today. It's natural, it's common, because it's Kaliyuk. You try to help someone now genuinely want to help someone, the person's going to think, what does this person want from me? See, 30, 40 years ago, you helped someone cross the road, they'd be very grateful, an elderly lady or someone, bless you, my child. Now they'll be holding onto that handbag, thinking you're going to steal their handbag. Get away from me. This is the era we live in now. Selfishness. So selflessness is being is un, is being unselfish but extended. It means you give. Not so you can get back. You just give. That's being selflessness. And it doesn't necessarily mean material things. You don't give everything away. Generally helping people that genuine attitude of how can I be of service, selflessness, without anything in return. Even complimenting people. You look lovely today. Oh, thank you. They didn't return the compliment. Tell me how, how good I looked. If you're expecting something back in return, then it is a transaction. It's not selflessness. I said you look good. Why didn't you tell me I look good? That's a transaction. I helped you last time. Now I need to help. You're not helping me. No. You help because you want to help without anything in return. Selflessness. It's your nature to help. The undeveloped person is involved in gross selfishness, selfish activities. So practice selflessness because it is the right thing to do. Helps you to develop spiritually. That is the reward. When you practice selflessness, it helps you to develop spiritually. And that is the reward. In fact, selflessness is defined as an action which promotes spiritual development. When you're thinking of others, you're not thinking of yourself. When you're not thinking of yourself, you're not fulfilling your own selfish desires. The more you think of others, the more you develop spiritually because you're reducing your desires. So think of others first. Any questions on selflessness? This is one of the key characteristics. Arunabhan, you okay? Okay, great. Ravi. The above qualities are not exhaustive. They serve as guidelines to assess one's spiritual status. Study them closely. 
use them to determine the passage to your spiritual evolution. The direction set fast should help you unveil yourself, reach the goal of self-realization. So these are just some of the qualities that you need to develop on the spiritual path. And it becomes an indicator to show your progress on the path. You can use them to develop and to reach the ultimate state of self-realization. See, we've covered the three things today. Cheerfulness. If you're feeling gloomy, you know, oh, hang on, this isn't helping me spiritually. I need to develop cheerfulness. I need to be happy. Why am I unhappy? That person said that to me. Well, I'm not going to be affected by it. I'm going to be permanently happy as much as I can. You're developing spiritually. You see, now you're thinking, I don't like that person. Why don't I like that person? Because he's selfish. That's his nature. I understand that's his nature, but inside is the self, which is the same as me. I heard that spiritual development means universal love. I must learn to love that person as well. See, now the, these qualities you need to develop through in this way. Just be aware of it. I can't be bothered to do this. Why am I, why am I not bothered? Spiritually developed persons are dynamic. I want to become spiritually developed. Let me get up and do it now. No procrastination. You're all with me. So this is how you can use these qualities. Bear them in mind. And when these thoughts come up, remember this class. Remember what Ravi said, yeah? <laughs> okay. Questions? Know thyself. Know thyself. Not the self that you are, the physical personality, but the self within. Ravi. Know thyself. The aphorism declared the staggering truth that thou art God. Godhood is your essential being at all time. Never have you fallen from that state of divinity. If that be so, you are God before you attain self-realization. So are you God after self-realization? What then determines the marked difference before and after realization? What change does spiritual enlightenment bring about in a person? Is, it, is there a change at all? A careful scrutiny will reveal one significant change above all. That is your awareness of Godhood and all that goes with it. Though Godhood has been your perennial being, you remain unaware of your divine state before you attain enlightenment. Whereas... After enlightenment, you become fully aware of your divinity. That is the difference. Very important paragraph, this, because this sums everything up. What we've been studying in this chapter is that thou art. You are God. Yes, this is what we've been studying. You are God. The four aphorisms we studied in a few classes, classes ago. The aphorism states that we are God. We have always been God. You are God right now. Then I ask you, what is the difference, if any, between before and after self-realization? You are God right now. So what's the difference between now and self-realization? What's the difference? I say you are God right now. Damesh? One is you know it, one you actually understand it. One you, yeah, absolutely. The difference is right now you're not aware you are God, even though we've been talking about it for the last two months. You still don't believe it. You don't believe you are God. But after realization, you become aware of the truth that you are God. You see, you, you understand the difference? Yeah. 
Right now you are God, but you don't believe it. You're attached to your body, mind, intellect. At self-realization, you understand the truth. You practice the truth, you believe the truth, you've experienced the truth. And when you realize the truth, you're no longer affected by anything in the world. No worry and anxiety. You're peaceful, happy. This is what being spiritual is. So our goal in life as a human being is to discover this truth, discover our own self, that one is God. So this story highlights this point. Some of you may already have heard it. You okay to read it, Ravi? Yeah, the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. I'll read okay, go ahead. There once lived a royal couple. They had a baby boy. In their state, there was a terrible deluge. Flooding. Half the state was washed away by the floods. The baby prince was thoughtfully placed in a floating cradle. The king and queen were drowned. It was a dreadful blow to the people of the state. The waters receded gradually. The ministers of the state took stock of the situation. They found the bodies of the king and queen, but no trace of the prince. A peculiar birthmark on the baby's left shoulder was the only clue they were left with. They ordered a statewide search for the missing prince, as he was the heir to the throne. The search went on for years, while a regent took charge of the administration of the state. In that, sorry. In that very state, a beggar was known for long to beg in the marketplace. The shopkeepers knew him. Some obliged, some spurned him. Some were indifferent towards him. At the end of the day, he collected enough money to make a living. He continued fast for over 16 years. One morning, the authorities of the state got hold of the beggar. They drove him to the palace. The regent and the ministers examined him carefully, only to find the peculiar birthmark of the lost prince on his left shoulder. All were amazed at the discovery. They declared the beggar was the missing prince and crowned him king. The entire state rejoiced. The youth took time to realize the full implication of his sudden fortune. It was a year before he settled down and established himself as a lawful king of the state. Having done so, one day he disguised himself with his old beggar clothes and went into the market begging for alms. The shopkeepers were surprised to see him back after a long lapse. He received the same treatment from them. Some obliged, some spurned, some were indifferent. He collected the same amount as before and returned to his royal abode. Carefully analyze the difference between the two experiences. His begging before and after he became the king. On both occasions, he faced variations, fluctuations, alternations in the outer world. In the earlier state, before discovering himself to be the king, he was, he was affected by them. He anxiously looked forward for gains and was disappointed at losses. Whereas later, after discovering his true identity, he remained totally unaffected, indifferent, disinterested in gain or loss. External happenings could not in the least affect him. He stood well above any worry or anxiety, being totally fulfilled, independent, self-sufficient. It is interesting to note the distinct change in his life. What exactly was the change in his personality? Was it brought about by the beggar becoming king? No, that cannot be the reason, for he was king before and after his discovery. King even when he was begging in the first instance. The only difference is that earlier he did not know that he was king, while later he knew himself to be the king. 
It is knowledge of his kingship that made him a totally different person. So it is with your life. The kingdom of heaven is within you. You are God, but you are not aware of your godhood at present. You know not you are God. Consequently, the perennial alternations of life cause you suffering and sorrow. The variations and fluctuations of this world plague you. The moment you realize yourself, you know yourself to be God. None of these external changes and disturbances affect you. You remain peaceful and blissful, reveling in your own self. That is the difference. First, you must discover the entities. Find own self that foul art. Thus must you discover the eternity, thine own self, that thou art. So the beggar was always king. But while he was begging, he didn't know he was king. So he was affected by everything. I didn't get enough money today. Oh, today I've got a, I've got a lot of money. Happy, unhappy. Later, after he became king, he went begging. He was no longer affected by how much he got. He was the king. He had enough money. The difference is, before he was unaware, he was king, even though he was king. And then afterwards, when he went begging, he knew he was the king. That's all. Just that awareness. Similarly, we don't realize our Godhood. When you reach self-realization, you understand your Godhood. It's just that awareness. So as you gain this knowledge, you apply it, you slowly reveal the self within. Result, you're no longer mentally agitated. The stress and strain of life, stress and strain of life. You become more focused in life. You gain more freedom in life. You understand the purpose of life. And ultimately, you become self-realized. That's it. Book, Katam. Any questions? Any questions? Clarifications? Great. I'd like to thank Ravi and Meghna for the reading they've done the last 86 classes. Thank you. Oh, pleasure, Zaz. Thank you. So we going to begin the Gita classes. We're going to take a break next week and then we're going to start the Gita classes. There will be a flyer going around which Ravi is doing as we speak. If you can all pass it around to your friends, families, whoever you think will be interested, it's fine. Now somebody asked, what about which Gita do we get? So the Gita we're going to be studying is Swami Patasati's Gita. His explanation of the Gita is what we're going to be studying. But for the chanting, the verses, any Gita will do because they all the Gitas have the same verses. Yeah. But for the explanation, we'll be using Swami Patasati's Gita. And we will be chanting as well, each verse. And I suggest you all learn to chant as well to yourself. We don't need to hear it. Just chant to yourself because it will give you energy. It will give, make you, it'll heighten your spiritual senses. It has those vibrations. Yeah. So try and um, chant when we chant. However it is, doesn't matter. The fact that you will be making an effort will be sufficient. After about one chapter, 
you'll, you'll get the grip of it. So do please learn how to chunk. Any other clarifications? Great, I've bored you to death today. A lot of knowledge to take in. <laughs>